Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 26 minutes now to 9 the time. Good morning time for your Mediated Conversation this Tuesday morning. Next week, millions of children will go back to school for the start of the 2024 school year. And almost all of them will be wearing a school uniform. And literally every year for many, many years, there have been complaints about the high price of school uniforms. In many cases, this is because schools have only one supplier that sells some parts of the uniform. As you probably know, if there's no competition, prices almost automatically go up. But the Competition Commission has instituted guidelines for schools to try and stop this from happening. Under the law, a school governing body determines the uniform policy of a school. In other words, there's nothing stopping the governing body of the school around the corner from you from completely changing their uniform or, in fact, dropping a uniform altogether. At the same time, the Human Rights Commission has said that uniform requirements that are too strict or force people to conform to certain clothes for certain genders can infringe on the rights of children. So then, a mediated conversation on school uniforms, their pricing and what is legal and what is not. First this morning, Karabo Mutung is the Principal Analyst for Advocacy at the Competition Commission. We'll ask Karabo around the guidelines they've instituted for schools. Dr. Eileen Carter is the head of the South African Human Rights Commission in the Eastern Cape, but also uh, chaired an inquiry into school uniforms and how they may infringe on the rights of learners. And then Anthea Soresto is the CEO of the Governing Body Foundation. We'll ask her about some of the policies that governing bodies institute. We start then with Karabo Mutung, the Principal Analyst for Advocacy at the Competition Commission. Karabo, good morning and thanks for your time. Good morning, Stevens, and good morning to the listeners. Thank you for having me. You, and you say this very clearly on your website, still receive many, many complaints from parents about the high prices of school uniforms. What are people complaining about? That is correct, uh, Stevens. I think most parents are really complaining that they are being forced by schools to procure a uniform, either from a a, a pre-selected or appointed school, a school uniform supplier or from the school's uh, uniform shop. And of course, uh, Stevens, if you are going to be forced to procure from a particular service provider in the absence of competition, of course, then what then the, the result is that it's going to lead to high prices. And so really parents are complaining that, um, one, they're being forced to buy a, from a particular uh, place uh, of course, then uh, taking away uh, their ability to decide and to make a choice in terms of where they procure, but of course, then uh, resulting uh, uh, the resulting uh, effect is that they they then are forced uh, to procure these uniform at, at high prices. You've instituted certain guidelines. What guidelines have you instituted for schools? What guidelines do you believe they should follow? So from our guidelines, Steve, essentially what we're saying and what we found from our um, initial uh, investigation was that schools have quite a number of school uniform items under their range. So they've got, you'll find that schools have uniform items for summer, there's winter, there's uniform for different types of sports. And so what we've asked schools to do is to have as as to ensure that the school uniform is as generic as possible. So um, ensure, try, for example, limit the number of items on the school uniform I, uh, that, are, that are branded. So if the, the blazer is branded, that's okay. But you don't need to have a white shirt that is also branded with a school badge. So try and allow parents, for example, to go and procure a white shirt from anywhere where they can afford to, um, to procure a white shirt. 
We're also encouraging schools to ensure that they appoint more than one uh, supplier of, of school uniform. This, of course, will then introduce that element of, of competition. And then we are also saying that when schools do appoint uh, suppliers, Stevens, they need to ensure that they do this through a competitive process. So they need to go through a tender process where they invite um, interested persons to come through and say, this is what we can offer the school. And the school then needs to determine uh, which is the preferred um, supplier. And of course, uh, lastly, I think it's just to say that these agreements should not be longer than uh, than five years, which is what we found in our investigation, that some of these agreements go way back, you know, 50-year-old agreements that, are, that, that have been in place in these schools. Some do not even have a, a, a an end date. And so we are saying that schools must ensure that uh, these agreements have an end date and that after every five years, they are reviewed and that a competitive process is followed um, to appoint uh, new suppliers. I don't quite understand why a school would need to appoint a supplier in the first place. If you want to have a particular blazer, surely you can just put on your website, this is the blazer that you have to have for whatever the school is, and suppliers can do what they want. You know, if there's a market for it, a school will, a, 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 a clothing store will supply it. Is there any particular reason why a school has to appoint a supplier? So just. The argument by schools um, is really that, you know what, they do not want to have their logo being available to many different people, right? Um, And also that, I mean, if a blazer is a particular green, they want that particular green across the board and they do not want different shades of green, for example, right? And that really is the argument in terms of why they would want to appoint um, a suppliers, right? So the supplier would then, of course, procure that particular material and ensure that uh, they then produce the blazers, for example, in that particular color that the school wants and that uh, many different people are not are not producing uh, different colors uh, of a part- or different shades of a particular color. So that really is their their their, their argument. And and I mean, Stevens, you know, we are absolutely not against that. All we are saying is that um, I think one, they must reduce the number of items that have badges so that parents can go procure these generic items from retail shops, uh, uh, which they can afford, right? Um, and also that um, they must appoint the supplier through a competitive process. You know, like I said, many of the of the agreements that we had found from our investigations were from way back. Some of the principals now that are in the schools don't even know when uh, these relationships or these suppliers were appointed. They came in and the supplier was already there. You know, um, and it goes way back. It's history. It's relationships um, with older principal school school principals, etc. So I understand why a supplier would want to be the exclusive supplier. They make money. But there's been nothing to stop, and I accept what you know what you say when what schools argue, but they could still have two suppliers. The school doesn't benefit from having a single supplier. Or Karabo, does someone benefit from them having a single supplier? <laughs> Definitely, Stephen. The, the school does not, should not benefit from having a single supplier, and that's why we are saying they should have more than one supplier. You know what? Schools play a critical role in this situation, uh, Stevens, and I think that's the message that parents need to understand. 
schools and SGBs are responsible for, for the procurement policies of schools, right? And so they need to ensure that these procurement policies are pro-competitive because when these policies are pro-competitive and when, when they introduce and allow competition to happen, then we will see prices of school uniform going down. But as long as schools insist on appointing a single supplier and um, therefore um, are not introducing or allowing competition to take place, parents will continue paying higher prices. So I think it is important, you are correct, Stephen, that schools should not uh, be benefiting from having one supplier. There's no benefit to them at all. They can definitely allow uh, more than one one supplier. And one of the, I mean, the, the settlement conditions that we had, for example, with one of the school uniform suppliers who what who back then uh, procured, for example, a whole role, if I may call it, of a particular school's blazer or material, you know. So we said to them, if a new supplier comes on board, you need to be able to share that material with them and they must procure it from you at cost, you know. So they are, they, those possibilities are there. If a new supplier comes, um, the current supply needs to be able to say, okay, you can procure uh, the material for me at cost so that the new supplier can produce as well. So indeed, schools have this role to play and they need to play it. They definitely have a role in ensuring that prices of school uniform can go down and uh, and to they have the, the ability to ensure that they alleviate the financial pressure uh, on parents even. Karabo, thank you. Karabo Mutung is the Principal Analyst for Advocacy at the Competition Commission. You were there, CFM. Your mediated conversation continues this morning around school uniforms, 17 minutes to 9 the time. Dr. Eileen Carter is the head of the South African Human Rights Commission in the Eastern Cape, but also has overseen an inquiry by the Human Rights Commission into school uniforms. Dr. Carter, good morning, and thank you for your time this morning. Morning, Stephen. Morning to your listeners. Many schools have quite strict uniform requirements. If you don't comply with the uniform policy, you get kicked out of the school. As a general principle, is that actually constitutional? Well, um, Stephen, thank you. I think our inquiry showed that the school uniform policies of a lot of schools can be very strict and prohibitive to access basic education. Now, what our inquiry has found is that in some instances, these children will be subjected to disciplinary processes, which would hinder them from um, basically accessing one of the most important rights in our constitution. And um, it, it's quite it's quite uh, funny to be talking about shades of green uh, when we are actually speaking about a right that is contained in the Bill of Rights. So what we've seen is that certain schools, and, and this goes, uh, you know, private schools, public schools, even go to the, the minute details of prescribing the the color of underwear for girl children. And what we have found is that this is unconstitutional. We find that these um, determinations infringe on the right of dignity and equality of of children in schools. And ours is to ask um, whether we shouldn't go back to the basics and ask what is the purpose of school uniforms? What is the, um, the aim of school uniforms and whether this is in fact contributing to children accessing basic education. So, I mean, I, I remember learning that about girl children and I'd never heard of it applied to, to boy children at all. Um, is there, I mean, is there a definition of the phrase too strict? I mean, do you have to go case by case? Is there any kind of, you know, and this comes and inevitably takes us to hair policies in a moment as well. But is it possible for a parent or a child to know when this uniform policy is actually just wrong? 
Well, that's what we've said. We've, um, in our findings, Stephen, we've requested the department to do an assessment and a basically an audit of the school uniform policies of schools in the country. And we've asked them to go and measure whether these are in fact constitutional. The, the department has a guidelines in respect of school uniforms, but we have questioned those guidelines and we've requested that they be updated. Um, when girl children wants to wear pants instead of dresses, we have said that that would be contributing to their right to equality. What we've also asked is that the department looks at capping the costs of school uniforms. Um, like I've indicated, it may be prudent for us to go back to the drawing board and ask, you know, what is the purpose of a seven-year-old child wearing a blazer to school in 42-degree um, heat in the Northern Cape? We also need to ask, you know, do parents have the capacity, not only economically, but at home during load shedding to iron shirts for the children to be able to go to, to school the next day? So perhaps it's time for us to go back to the drawing board, reassess, but do that reassessment based on the human rights that is contain, contained in our constitution and ask some very important questions. This is all about governing bodies, which should be dominated by parents in the first place. No, absolutely. And um, whilst we absolutely agree that this is the prerogative of the SGBs, they have a very important role to play. But what we are asking is that we align these policies with the Bill of Rights. We align these policies as we also progress as a, as a society. And we ask whether certain policies that we have found have been imported wholly from the global north are in fact applicable to the South African context. Stephen, we're looking at a 32 percent unemployment rate in South Africa? Do our parents have the capacity to procure, you know, um, exorbitant items at exorbitant prices? And what we've heard from the Competition Commission and whose findings we've also echoed in our report is that, in fact, schools are not adhering to these guidelines. So one of our recommendations in our report we've put to the National Department is also to say, uh, isn't it time for binding directives instead of guidelines and pledges and encouragement uh, towards schools to say, listen, guys, this is the cap for school uniforms because we have to be looking at the Section 29 right instead of shades of green or red. Um, you also made a finding around um, uh, sort of gender normative clothing. In other words, at the moment, almost every school says girls must wear skirts, boys must wear shorts or trousers. Um, and yes, there are some schools, and I've come across some of them, that will allow a girl to wear trousers. That's becoming more common. I'm not aware of any school that's allowed, as yet it may have happened, a boy to wear a dress. Are schools guilty of infringing on the rights of children in this case? Well, Stephen, again, we're going to ask the question. Uh, let's go back to Section 29 of the Constitution, which says it's children's rights to basic education. And we have to ask, is a child wearing the, an item of clothing of their choice um, hindering anyone from accessing that basic right? And is that in fact promoting perhaps their right to equality? So we are asking schools to cater to the needs of children in a changing society and cater to gender non-conforming school uniforms where children have the options available to them and parents have the options available to them to cater to the differentiated, uh, differentiated needs of our learners. So that is our position and we do, don't think that that position is unreasonable when we test it against Section 36 also of the Constitution as well as the Equality Act. So um, yeah, St uh, Stephen, gender non-conforming um, school uniforms allowing 
telling a girl child to wear trousers to school, we think that is in fact promoting dignity and equality and not taking anything away from that. There's still, I think, a, a, a strong um, sort of uh, identifier or a strong um, a, a affection for school uniforms. And this comes from parents. Do you believe uniforms have any value for children at all? Absolutely. Stephen, we went through a, a very meticulous assessment to, to place school uniforms within the South African context. And whilst there are several irrelevant considerations that uh, research has shown that is not necessarily, uh, you know, uh, prevalent within the South African context, uh, one of the considerations, even the, the guidelines of the department is to say that school uniform um, prevent gang violence. And that has been wholly important uh, imported as is from the American context. So we um, we have stated in a lot of our assessment that these uh, determinations may not be very much much applicable to the South African context. However, the, the applicability comes when it comes to affordability. You know, our communities don't have the capacity to keep up with the Dlaminis and the Joneses and the Fanamarvas. So what we want is school uniforms to be affordable, available, reasonable and practical. And there it just justifies the, you know, the existence of the uniform. But like I say, Stephen, then we need to go back to the drawing board to say, is it in fact practical for our context? Again, a blazers on a seven-year-old in, in 34 or 42 degree um, temperature, is it applicable? And then we make that assessment. So yes, it has a role to play, but we then need to make very sure that it is affordable to the parents in our country. Dr. Eileen Carter, thank you. Head of the South African Human Rights Commission in the Eastern Cape also conducted that inquiry into school uniforms. Nine minutes to nine, the time your mediated conversation continues here on SAFM around school uniforms. Anthea Soresto is the CEO of the Governing Body Foundation. Anthea, good morning and thanks for your time this morning. Good morning to you and the listeners. It seems to me an amazing fact that we have many different schools representing many different communities in our country, run by different governing bodies. And yet, almost every single school that I can think of, the governing body has decided to have a uniform, and those uniforms all look very much the same. And that's probably not a very, uh, you know, very negative uh, factor. The important thing is that schools are supposed to be community organizations. I'm not really talking about the independent schools here. I'm really focusing on the public schools, where, of course, the majority of our learners um, attend. Um, the governing body is a structure elected by the school community, and they have great power to determine various policies, including the uniform policy. And I, I agree with absolutely everything that the two uh, previous speakers have said, what the um, Human, Human Rights Commission report uh, revealed, and what uh, the Com Competition Commission has said. We, we go along with that and we promote it to the members of our organization. We say those things word for word. Um, Schools are, are learning. The governing bodies responsible for the schools are learning. There is an evolving uh, sort of uniform policy. The, the thing about uh, girls' underwear, um, if any school still has that, it's quite ridiculous. And everybody laughs at it because it is so ridiculous. 
And I don't think it actually applied. It was when I went to school, which is 55 years ago, but um, that's, these are inherited things that should not be part of our school uniform policy. But if I could say, it's quite time years. Um, 2024 is the school governing body election year and school um, communities will be invited to come and elect their uh, school governing body representatives in March. And parents must elect people who will act in the best interest of the school community. So um, we must consider the progress that has been made in terms of um, gender and identity and the need to not discriminate. Um, of course, to keep costs down. I'm not so sure I would support the cap we, on uniforms, but we have so much control um, and it's supposed to be a community determined thing rather than a government imposed everything. Um, so the school should act reasonably to suit their community. So in poorer communities, they really need to keep things very, very simple. It's the gray trousers, gray skirts or gray tunics, white shirts. Um, school badges can be bought separately. So you can, in fact, put a badge on, iron it on or sew it on. There are ways to have individual school identity, but it's at a lower cost. Um, um, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but there are some things I need to get to. The agreements that schools seem to have with suppliers, and this is one of the key things that you know the Competition Commission talks about. Why do school yes. governing bodies do that? I, I understand they all want, I mean, as, as Dr. Carter said, the idea of everyone having the same shade of green can be sort of faintly ridiculous, but it can be an important point. But it does seem that school governing bodies have these agreements that go with, with certain shops for years and years and years, and no one does anything about it. And it looks very uh, comfortable <laughs> for someone. Why does that happen? Now, I think these these long-term agreements, it's a particular type of school that really has these agreements. And they've existed for so long that nobody knows where they actually came from. And some of these agreements are still in place, but the schools are, in fact, having additional suppliers in any case. So the sole uh, right to supply really does seem to have fallen away in most cases. Um, it's it tends to be the more upmarket school that have these uh, suppliers. And yes, it is the shades and they do have unusual styles uh, perhaps. So those are very much a historical thing. I do think that most of our public schools are quite um, clear about the fact that they have to have a competitive process to appoint a supplier. I'm in favor of schools having their own shops where they appoint suppliers for a particular period. Um, it has to be some time because you don't stock many, many sizes um, just for one year's supply. You actually need to have a contract that actually will be beneficial to both the supplier and the school. So I do think that competitive process to appoint a supplier, um, you vet the quality, you vet um, the consistency of the product that's provided. Um, I think that's important. And schools have stuck with their original suppliers simply because 
they inherited it. So one governing body after the next, after the next has inherited it, and it's not something that they've questioned. But this dialogue that we do have annually, as you've already said, um, I think it, 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 it takes time for communities, schools to change. And the human rights aspect of this needs to be emphasized. Um, some people are very aware of human rights and the need um, to make sure that that's aligned um, in their school policies. It's still something new to a lot of people who hang on to tradition and they want these blazers. I'm also very much against blazers for children. I think we need child-friendly clothing. Um, so it's a matter of education. So it's the Competition Commission has been quite reasonable in that they haven't been prosecuting schools, um, although they can. It's a matter of educating and the advocacy, and, and I think that's the word that's been used in the title of our first speaker. Um, we, we have to work harder. It takes time to change what people understand, and, and, and we promote it. I write an article, a newsletter, you know, let's say almost once a quarter that reminds schools about this particular fact. Um, Anthea, thank you very much indeed. Anthea Saresto is the CEO of the Governing Body Foundation. Really do appreciate the time with us on SFM this morning. My thanks also to Dr. Eileen Carter, head of the South African Human Rights Commission in the Eastern Cape, presided over that inquiry into school uniforms on behalf of the Human Rights Commission. And Karabo Mutung is the Principal Analyst for Advocacy at the Competition Commission. Well, very interesting to see what develops. I'm still staggered by the idea that despite having schools representing a very different uh, communities, we all come back to the same sort of school uniform, really. Uh, almost every child in this country will wear some sort of sort of white shirt to school at some point in their lives. It's very interesting to see that no, no, as far as I know, no government school governing bodies have ever decided to do away with the school uniform completely. I do wonder if one of them may at some point.